Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, one eight seven 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 zero stop in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit one eight hundred gambler.net in West Virginia or call one eight hundred five two two four seven zero zero in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gambling helpline ma.org or call eight hundred three two seven fifty fifty four twenty four seven support in Massachusetts or call one eight seven seven eight hope. NY or text Hope NY in New York. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, college football fans from across the nation and around the world. This is Tim May with the Tim May Podcast. Uh, a little bit somber uh, as we record this because it's only a little while after the stunning news that Kobe Bryant and his daughter and others, uh, seven others, were killed in a helicopter crash over the weekend. And, uh, you know, it'll take a while for a lot of people, I think, to, to uh, kind of like come to grips with that, with the loss of a uh, not just a basketball superstar, but a legend, uh, an international legend. And my first guest, uh, we're going to talk about that and, and a lot of other things. But uh, you know, what 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 a way to uh, to start a Sunday. Let's just put it that way. But then past that, we're going to get into some things that uh, maybe could be changed about college football as the college football world evolves from uh, 2019 season to 2020. Uh, with my first guest, and uh, then later on, we're going to bring on my. Uh, my cohort, uh, Austin, you know him as Boston Ward. I'm going to start referring to him as, you know him as Boston Ward because that's the way I know him. And the way I know him is the way you should know him, uh, as my boss and uh, the guy who's on top of everything. But with that uh, said, uh, back to my first guest, Joshua Perry, former Ohio State Buckeye, national champion, uh, uh, former NFL player, now uh, uh, basically Big Ten personality on the Big Ten Network, etc. And, uh, heck, he may be able to sell you a home one of these days. Who knows? Joshua Perry, welcome back into the program, my man. I'm always glad to be on with you. Uh, looking forward to a really good show. Hey, uh, just real quick, I mean, you know, you and I talked about this before the show started. You got to meet Kobe Bryant uh, uh, back when you were with the L.A. Chargers, or now the L.A. Chargers. Uh, uh, what was just – what, what, what's just your thought, you know, when you heard the news on Sunday of what had happened and just your thoughts of what he meant? I mean, you're part of that generation that grew up in the Kobe Bryant and then evolved into the LeBron James era. But what, what, what uh, as far as NBA basketball was concerned, but what were your thoughts? Yeah, it was just kind of wild. And it's, it's almost too hard to express um, all the things I was thinking about, but um you know, you were absolutely right. I was with the LA Chargers, at least in that uh, preseason, and we were based out of uh, Orange County, Costa Mesa, and uh, that's where it kind of really hit home for me because we did our training camp at Orange Coast College. Um, they just lost their baseball coach in that helicopter crash, and I know a lot of people in that community still that I keep in contact with, and so I know they're really hurting, but um, Kobe Bryant was probably like the first transcendent worldwide figure that I really knew as an athlete. And um, I, I remember when I first started playing travel basketball, I wore the crazy eight shoes. 
And it used to be called the KB8, Kobe Bryant shoe, and he was with Adidas. And then um, he transitioned over to Nike, but they kept producing the shoe. They called it the Crazy 8. And uh, as it's just like a point of pride, it had eight on it. I wore number eight. Um, first year I played AAU basketball. Um, and had had just, uh, the opportunity to spend some time with Kobe um, out at training camp one day. And it was just awesome listening to him. But just really thinking about um, that loss there, it, it just it shows you how fate and specifically death doesn't discriminate. It doesn't care if you're a man or a woman, young or old, rich or poor, black or white. Uh, none of that really matters. And, and uh, specifically with Kobe, you think of a guy who is, you know, internationally famous and one of the best to ever play basketball and has all the money you could want in the world to tragically pass away at 41 years old with his 13-year-old daughter with him. Um, I, I couldn't imagine um, being in, in, you know, a member of his family or, or being a close friend of his. And so uh, it's a very somber time for a lot of us, especially as sports fans, as somebody who grew up watching him, but also with regards to what it must be like for the families that were involved, because now they're picking up pieces and they'll probably never be the same. Um, such a, a tragedy on a huge level. And hopefully um, out of this tragedy, it brings perspective to people to truly care about uh, their family members and to not hold grudges and to squeeze people a little bit tighter next time you give them a hug. Yeah. And, and to make the most of every moment of every day. I mean, that's, uh, Nothing's ever uh, guaranteed, as the old saying goes. Nothing's ever promised. And, uh, you know, also, it just shows you, man, don't take for granted, you know, the ride to work, the ride to the grocery store, the ride home. I mean, uh, yeah. uh, it's 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 really stunning how you get these reminders sometimes. But, you know, just him in, in particular, you know, he, he kind of gained some fame as in the last several years of being an inspirational speaker i mean it's an inspiration to 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 athletes i remember if i remember correctly him talking to the alabama football team on a you know like in preseason from a one of those behind the scenes kind of shows on espn a couple of years ago or maybe it was last year and then like you said when you met him and got to speak to him a little bit or just hear heard him talk what just resonated with you more than anything else uh joshua yeah and he's just an impressive person i think the reason why he's so inspirational is everything he talks about is about things you can control and that's your mentality and that's the repetitions that you put in. And, you know, a lot of these folks, they, they end up becoming transcendent because of talent. And, and that's not to say that Kobe wasn't supremely talented, but he was just mentally built differently than a lot of people. But that's a mentality that he felt like he could teach and he felt like he could inspire people with. And truly from listening to his speech, his words do resonate. Um, and, and they continue to resonate. You see the videos floating around social media right now. Um, a lot of the quotes that he had. Um, and for years to come, there will be young athletes who may have never seen him play live that will be inspired by some of the words that he's lent to us. So um, just to be that type of figure, uh, I think that's why all of this is so impactful. Yeah, and he was no perfect man, that's for sure. And we all know what no. happened in 2003 and the uh, uh, the Jeopardy face there and you know, your heart still kind of goes out to the young lady that was involved in that kind of situation. But even his family, I mean, you know, he almost he almost lost his family in, in you know, in, in that deal, but was able to mend mend the fence, so to speak, and and move on. But uh, uh, you know, do, you're 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 an, you're an athlete. You know, you put your heart and soul into becoming a a big time uh, college football player, but you didn't lose sight of the other things in life, which is what always impressed me about you, Joshua, you're one of those guys who I said was curious about a lot of things, not just about how, you know, you could get four to six, A to B a little quicker. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> but, but I mean, he, he turned out to be that kind of guy too, right? I mean, yeah. And yet people don't understand, you know, you see, you watch Tiger Woods hit the, hit the golf ball back in his prime. And even now, you know, he's back, you know, to a certain extent, but, but when Kobe, you don't, most of the average person doesn't understand the work that went on to get to that point. You know what I mean? Behind the scenes, uh, on the practice range, on the practice court and stuff. Uh, this is when I think if you're, if people are really smart in our profession, they're pointing out that this guy was, he was self-made. I mean, he didn't just, wasn't, didn't just come out of the womb, a, a big time basketball player. Yeah. And, uh, I think it's fair to, to, to absolutely examine that, uh, it goes right back to that mentality we were talking about, but absolutely just the work that he was able to put in the practice and, and um, you know, the the dedication truly, but also 
and speaking to Kobe as, um, you know, everything outside of the athlete that he was, I think a lot of people fail to uh, realize that he was trilingual. He's a very cultured, worldly guy. Um, yeah. He was involved in a lot of philanthropy. Like, this is, his impact is beyond what he did as an athlete, beyond sports. It's truly a guy, like you said, not a perfect man by any means, but somebody who absolutely wanted to be impactful and use his influence as something that would be a positive catalyst in the community. Yeah. You know, I've got a friend of mine who poo-poos sometimes athletes in their philanthropic pursuits, thinking, uh, basically claiming that a lot of that's just to promote themselves. And I go, you know, who cares what your motivation is one way or the other, as long as you're making life better for somebody else, you follow my drift. And, uh, and, uh, that's, you know, and I, I think Kobe was genuine in that regard. I think he, he understood, you know, that, uh, Everybody isn't equal. Some people need a little boost right. in life, et cetera. And, uh, and then, you know, everybody's not going to be like Kobe. Everybody's not going to be as dedicated. Everybody's not going to be as talented. But you find your niche, and that's what I think he, he impressed on people more than anything else was find that thing that you can do well and do it. For sure. And, you know, just even uh, as he transitioned out, you might have thought it would be a, a tough transition for a guy like Kobe, but – he even started to invest himself with that same competitive nature um, into his family and into his daughter's basketball career and, you know, just into a bunch of different things. So yeah. um, it, it's, it, there's so much that reflectively we can take away from what Kobe Bryant meant to sports, but there's also so much reflectively that we can take away just on, you know, how to overcome um, the adversity that we face, whether it's um, in our careers, whether it's with our families, how to, um, put the work in to become the best and, and how to be an example for other people first and foremost. Well, let's segue away from that because, you know, you, you, you watch the, uh, let's get into Ohio state football and just foot, college football in general. You watch the Ohio state uh, um, Clemson game in the Fiesta bowl. Do we know what a catch is anymore? Uh, Joshua, I'll just start with that question. No. You know, you've, you, no. you're paid to like give your opinions on college football and, and calls, et cetera. I'm not trying to get you in any trouble here, <laughs> but uh, it is what it is. <laughs> uh, are you? Are you? I don't know. What, what do you take away? What do you take away from? Let's just start with that play in particular. Then we'll talk about targeting, et cetera. But uh, what do you just take away from the way that that call came down? Is uh, Boston? You know him as Austin Ward pointed out. That call might have come actually from Birmingham, Alabama. You know, from uh, a big uh, a big center there that was watching the game along with the official in the press box and then the officials on the field. But what do you take away from that that, that catch, strip, scoop, and score that was uh, really um, not to be? As, well, you know, bias, whatever you want to call it, but when you slow it down, it was like four steps in there, so I don't understand how that wasn't a completion. Um, with control of the ball, and, and that was the the inconsistency with me, uh, it's, it's two things. It's what constitutes a football move and what constitutes control. Um, yeah. Because part of it said that he didn't fully control the catch. And I would argue that that Jeffrey Akuda was trying to knock the ball out of his hand the whole time that he was trying to complete the catch. And it looked to me like it was complete enough that he could take the ball away so Akuda couldn't hit it. Yeah. And within four steps, and then as he was trying to pull it back in, it got knocked out. So I don't know <laughs> if you need to cradle the ball for that to be considered control. I don't know if the football move involves something other than taking a number of – I don't know. And that's the overarching thing here because we're going to talk about uh, the other call too. That was controversial, but um, I don't know what the rules committee looks like. I know there are former coaches on there. I don't know how many former players are on that committee. Um, I don't know who has the license to actually write the text of the rules, but there are too many inconsistencies, and that's part of the course with officiating. That's why it's officiating. People call it differently, but there are too many inconsistencies, and I don't think that the rules define clearly enough uh, what constitutes probably the most important parts of the rule so it can be executed properly. If that if that play had been in the end zone, is my – Buddy Boston Ward said, and Spencer Holbrook. It's a touchdown. It's a touchdown because, I mean, he would have, if it had been at the goal, at the sideline and he catches the ball, it would have been a first down. I mean, you understand what I'm saying. I mean, uh, it's, 
I, I, I think somebody made up a rule there. I mean, I, I think somebody just made it up on the fly and then interjected themselves into the most important game of the season to that point for two teams. That's that's what all I believe. Somebody wanted to be officious. And uh, until I'm proven otherwise, and I'm not going to be proven otherwise, because I, you know, I always taught my little kids to catch football like Chris Carter, which Chris Carter, right. you know, you catch the ball with your fingertips out front, out in front of you. You don't, you don't cradle it, you know, and let the ball get into your pads, et cetera. And that's exactly what that kid did. He caught the ball out there yes. and took three steps. And, uh, you know, I don't know where, what you say to people except they were robbed. And, and what bothers me is how long, if you were, if you were on that Ohio State football team, that, for example, that play with for Jeffrey Okuda and Jordan Fuller, that play will stick with them forever, won't it? I mean, uh, how could it not? Sure. I mean, I, I think about um, 2015 when we played Michigan State. I think about plays in that game that I missed. Yeah. Um, in such a narrow game like that. And God, you know, I haven't played ball or played for Ohio State in five years now or whatever it is. Like, that stuff truly haunts you as a player. Um, and I, what you said, about interjecting yourself in the game, that resonates with me too. Um, because as an official, you have to call the game by the rules. I think that you have some leeway and judgment for what you call and what you don't call, what you let go and what you don't. Yeah. But in a game of that magnitude, especially making a game changing call that is a judgment call or a questionable call, um, on an overturn to me is egregious. And I feel like in, in those moments where you know it's 50 50, or you know it's questionable, um, to overturn it is something you should never do. Because yeah. you can always get away with saying, well, we made the judgment call on the field and we didn't think there was enough evidence. But for them to try to justify the fact that all the evidence existed for them to correct what they did on the field just blows my mind. Yeah. And, and like you said, the officials on, on the field. Did not make that call. As far as the targeting goes, here's what I understand. Uh, Sean Wade did duck his head a little, I mean, without a doubt. Yeah. Uh, Trevor Lawrence also ducked into him because because coming sure. in coming in from Trevor Lawrence's right was, was Chase Young about to get his first sack in three games, you know. <laughs> and uh, uh, and that call also, there was no call on the field there. That call came from on high. What, 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 what should young people – you know, who want to, who are playing the game now, they're trying to take the helmet out of the game of football. I mean, hitting with the helmet first. And that's what I've tried to explain to people. That's not just to protect the quarterback. That's to protect the guy who's lowering his helmet and hitting a guy sure. first with his helmet. Uh, but there was a, there's a difference between sort of lowering your helmet to protect yourself and continue the play and lowering your helmet and launching into a guy. And uh, Sean yeah. Wade did not launch into him. But he did. He did lower his helmet. So, what do we take? What do we take from a confusing standpoint to clear it up for people? Like I said, you do this on the Big Ten Network. You're supposed to explain things to people. What do we take from that play? Yeah. Well, first off, I think the way the rule is written is absolutely stupid, and I'll dive into that in a minute. But I think first uh, we need to. A lot of folks never played uh, football at a high level, and so I don't think you understand. Not you, but but some viewers don't understand what it takes uh, to be able to make those plays in real time. And as we've been taught lately about avoiding the head and neck area and avoiding those high hits is to lower our profile in real time. The, the fastest and easiest way to lower your profile involves ducking your head to a certain degree. Yes. Um, Whether that's the safest way, and I know coaches don't coach that, so it's not being coached, but that is a natural, instinctual way to try to make the correct hit, and it ends up being the wrong hit. So I think we have to consider um, physics and proprioception and kinesiology when we consider the way that we write these rules. But um, the way I understand it is that it doesn't matter uh, where the, the contact comes. If you initiate contact with the crown of your helmet, Right. That is considered targeting, and that's an ejection. And I think that is the most disingenuous thing ever because that only affects, typically, defensive players. And uh, a lot of times, those hits can happen without being malicious hits with intent. So I think we can do two things. is We can change the text of the rule because, in that case, every running back that's trying to run through a tackle that lowers their shoulder also lowers their head. And a lot of times, contact is initiated with the crown of their helmet. 
at the line of scrimmage, offensive lineman will fire off the ball, field goal unit, whatever it is. They'll initiate contact with the crown of their helmet. Um, you can look through, there are a million examples every game. There would be like 10 kids getting tossed out. So we can change that. Or yeah. we, can, we can judge the intent. If the hit is not egregious enough and is not dynamic enough and is not violent enough to call in real time on the field, there's no way we should be able to buzz down, take a look at it, and then eject the kid. You might be able to buzz down and set the penalty, and I wouldn't love that, but I, that's okay because you're trying to correct the behavior. That's why you, you don't toss people out for horse collars. That's why you don't toss people out for pass interference or face masks. But you assess on the penalty because you're trying to eliminate that behavior or correct it. Maybe not even eliminate, but correct it. Yeah. Um, but the, the big hits, the violent hits that we know we're trying to eliminate, I'm fine with the ejections on those, but we can use common sense here. I feel like we're so behind in football in a lot of ways when it comes to using common sense. Hey, what do you, what do you know? You know, talk to Sean Wade a little bit. I mean, uh, Letterman Rowe, you know, broke the story about him uh, opting to come back, you know, for his, uh, for his, for his next year at Ohio State. Uh, but what do you think was going on? What you know? What do you think's going on in his mind even today? A little, is he confused about why he didn't get to play the rest of the the uh, college football playoff semifinal? <laughs> I mean, what do you think there? I don't think there's any type of confusion. I think there's just probably disappointment just from the fact that he knows that what he did by the letter of the law probably wasn't a legal hit, but at the same time, he knows that his intention wasn't to fear anybody or hurt anybody yeah and he knows that the outcome of the play did not knock the opposing player around that's the other thing i want to talk about too is um if, if they have the ability to buzz down and call somebody for targeting and eject them they should make the offensive player that was on the other end of that hit go through the full evaluation for a concussion yeah. because if we're trying to make the game safer and we should evaluate whether the offensive player was truly hurt or if we're just tossing people out tossing out yeah. You know, it's funny because T. Higgins, their wide receiver, left the game with a towel over his head, walked to the walked to the locker room uh, after, after a big hit in the, uh, I think it was the first quarter. He played the whole second half. <laughs> so sure. so uh, sure. they got, you know, uh, and he didn't look like, he didn't look like a guy would be coming in, but coming back in, but he made a miraculous recovery in the uh, locker room. But I digress. I mean, you know, it's crazy. Real quick, before you go, where – where do you put this 2019 Ohio State team? I've I had Matt Finkus on last week. You know, he was on the 2006 team that w- was replete with stars, et cetera, lost one game, and uh, then won the Rose Bowl. And, uh, uh, you know, it's like if you don't win that national championship, like you were on the 2015 team, that 15 team was damn good. You follow my drift? So where does this yeah. one – where does this one – but the 2014 team is the one that's going to have the big reunions, you know, 30 years from now. I mean, 30, 30 years hence and uh, et cetera, and is going to, uh, you know, get all the accolades and stuff. So where does this 2019 team fit, do you think, in the in – the, uh, is there a special category for the 2019, 2015, uh, uh, 1969, you know what I mean, those teams that fell just short? Yeah, um, and I think, you know, 69 is hard for me to evaluate because, you know, I was born in 94, but yeah, like, I, I know, you know, know some of these in. teams that, yeah, yeah. Eh, that I've been a part of and some of these teams that I've uh, had a chance to watch would go down as some of the best assembled teams uh, that never won a championship. And not just Ohio State teams, but probably in college football. Um, like this, you look at some of the computer rankings for this Ohio State team, and it may very well be one of the best college football teams that didn't win a national title. Yeah. Um, and just the talent level, but also the way that they were dominant through the majority of their games this year. I mean, you know, a lot of these games weren't close, and most of them didn't have to be close. Um, and so uh, I would give this team personally the one that we just watched 2019 the edge over the 2015 team that i was on just because i feel like in 2015 we were really good and we were supremely talented i think there was more talent on that team yeah. but we played around a little bit too much we we never gelled the way that we were supposed to um you know until it was too late and then we go out and we we wax michigan and then we go out and we wax notre dame but that was too little too late 
Yeah. Um, it was just really impressive watching this year. And I, I, I knew this team was destined for something special. I think that, um, you know, they had their, their chances and their opportunities. And uh, this is probably the making for something really unique in the future to come just because these guys are going to be so hungry and ready to play ball. All right, last two things. What impressed you? What impressed you about Ryan Day and his staff, but especially Ryan Day getting handed the range to one of the great programs in college football, the way he handled it? Uh, what impressed you? I mean, getting your handle handle the range, you know, full time. Obviously, he did it for three games in 2018. What impressed you about the way he did things? And then, what do you see the seeds of another great run next year or this coming season? Um, first off, what impressed me about Ryan Day is the demeanor that he took. I think he understood his team really well and was able to motivate those guys the way that they needed to be. I thought that he handled the media really well, and he's very likable and answers, you know, all the questions and does that the right way. Yeah. Um, and, you know, closed out recruiting really well, too. So just everything it takes to be an elite coach, he stepped in right away and did. And he did it with a young quarterback and uh, some guys that he had never been around before in terms of coaches. And I think one of the hardest things is building a rapport and building chemistry, and they did that all on the fly. Um, I have a ton of appreciation for that just because I know the process it takes to be able to get to an elite level, and they did it seemingly overnight. Um, what was the follow-up question? Uh, is this team is this team built to make another run, do you think, in 2020? I mean, what what what's your sense of what's coming back from what you – you know, you know of what's coming back. You know, from the uh, the core of the offensive line is coming back. Uh, Justin Fields is back. Uh, they've got some receivers that are rising uh, defensively. They're losing maybe the best player in college football in Chase Young and uh, three quarters of the secondary. But uh, is there a sense from what you've seen of the players in the program that they can make another run this year? Absolutely. Uh, I think the biggest thing about making a run this year is the quarterback is back. And a lot of teams uh, in college football have to replace quarterbacks. I think it's one of the toughest things to do uh, is getting a quarterback up to speed. And Justin Fields was up, up to speed uh, almost immediately as a new quarterback in the program last year. This year he's going to be um, you know, even more comfortable in the offense. He's probably going to evolve just because he's going to be able to do more things with another offseason um, with Ryan Day. Uh, I'm not worried about the running back situation. Everybody keeps talking about, you know, is, is Master Teague the guy and recruiting this and recruiting that. I think Tony Alford does a great job of developing running backs. And I think Master Teague took all the steps and wanted to see him take to become the number two running back who was sixth in the Big Ten and rushing this year. So there's nothing in my mind that would tell me that he wouldn't take that next step. Yeah. Offensive line is going to be good, like you said. The wide receivers I'm looking forward to. And then defensively, even though they're young players, they those guys played so many reps because games were out of hand. So it's not like these guys are totally green. And they played against Big Ten talent, um, which is something that you want. But having Terry Combs back, I think, is undervalued in the aspect that every player Terry Combs developed turned into an elite player. Mm-hmm. And part of it's recruiting, but part of it is he's a coach that can get the best out of guys because they trust him. He's honest, and he is a technique kind of guy. It's what he does best coach technique. So um, there's no reason for me to believe that this team won't be elite again. Now it's just going to come down to finishing when they need to finish. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that's uh, Joshua Perry. He never has an opinion on everything. After It's like going going to the dentist when I'm working on his teeth there, just trying to get something out of him. No, Joshua, you know me, man. <laughs> I've always appreciated you, my man, and uh, once again – I like having you on. I like having you on my podcast, but it, more than anything else, I like just shooting the bull with you, my man. But I appreciate it once again, no especially for your thoughts on Kobe, ladies and gentlemen, yes, Joshua absolutely. Perry. All right, man. We'll see you Thank later. You. Appreciate it. Yep. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, Joshua Perry, one of my favorite people uh, I've ever covered at Ohio State, and and you know why. And if you watch him on the Big Ten Network, he got better and better as the season went on. Then he gives great insight both from a player standpoint and from a curiosity standpoint, he's not just sitting there like a rhubarb growing in a, in a, in somebody's garden somewhere. He's, he's keeping up with stuff and, uh, uh, always appreciate having him on. And, and when we get back uh, for our next segment, of course, the, what a lot of people think is the most anticipated segment of the podcast each week, I'm going to have Boston, you know, him as Austin Ward on, but we'll be back right after this. 
And we're back, ladies and gentlemen, with, like I promised, Boston. You know him as Austin Ward. I always give my handshake. Good even to see you. We were just shooting the bull in our warm-up session here in the green well, room. After that incredible intro that I got, yeah. I was so excited to come on. I tell you, you know, it's interesting. I had, uh, as you know, I had Joshua Perry on uh, before you, and uh, yep. he had he actually met Kobe Bryant, spoke with Kobe Bryant, you know, a couple of years ago and stuff, and and uh, just that stunning news, man. And you know, you're like me, uh, you've covered sports, but you're also a little bit of a fan of the game, et cetera. A fan of the greats, let's put it that way, too. And yeah. what was your first reaction when you heard the news over the weekend? I uh, couldn't really believe it. Um, I was shocked. I never – I always rooted against Kobe. Yeah, um, but that's okay, too. Yeah, and but as you say, you, you recognize the greatness. For me, it wasn't so much like, you know, I, I didn't think – he didn't have the impact on me, like my professional life or – uh, you know, somebody that I rooted for and was really invested in. But yeah. I think what what yesterday, as the coverage played out and the shock, um, you know, for everybody around the country or the world, really, I mean, you think about some of the, the impact he had expanding the game overseas, the you know NBA and Nike and, and the power that they have around the globe. But I was thinking just about the people that you and I cover at Ohio State, whether that's uh, the football team or – you know, you saw Ryan Day and some of the coaching staff, you know, talking about the, the Mamba mentality. And obviously the basketball team is going to be impacted by that. The, these guys all got into it since they were born watching Kobe uh, and, and trying to model their game after him and, uh, you know, watching everything that transpired. So yesterday for me, I it, it wasn't quite something that, you know, I, I didn't have that pit in my stomach, but I know. You were stunned. I was absolutely stunned by yeah. the news. And then when you have a major event like that, I'm obviously I'm following the way the coverage plays out, and I'm, right. I'm trying to, you know, step back a little bit from it. But it's it yesterday was a tremendous reminder about just how influential he was with the young people that we cover on a day to day basis. And right. So I didn't want to, you know, weigh in on it. I had nothing to really add to the conversation, and I think if you don't in situations like that, it's best to just sit there and and, and maybe think and let people handle it in their own way. And I. You know, you saw that with the Ohio State football team and trying to process it on social media and hoping that it wasn't true. And then, you know, right. talking about whether they were Lakers fans or if they grew up wanting to wear this number or this, that, and other. And it was, I thought that was a really sobering reminder is that these, a lot of these guys lost uh, someone that had been their hero for their entire life. And, um, you they know, they had his jersey, et cetera. Yeah. And that's, yeah. that's the, that's yeah. the legend part. I, I hate to, to dip into the cliche, but I mean, this guy's not ever going to be forgotten. And it's, it, it is, it is always sad when it happens to somebody who has so much more that he clearly wanted to give. Uh, he'd entered this, you touched on this with Josh that, um, you know, he had some things that people didn't like about him and he had some questionable incidents that happened in his past, but yeah, he had really successfully uh, moved past that. Wasn't ever, you know, charged or convicted of a crime, but, um, you know the stuff he was doing to to give back, and and obviously what he was doing with his family, yeah, had really made well, that's a, what impressed a, a mark me. on people. Yeah, I tell you what, I mean, I, um, Will Crawl, you know the guy that owns our own, he yeah. ought to, he's the guy would the real called, boss man. He's the guy to call Boston, man. I, but you, that wouldn't fit Boston Crawl. Doesn't make any sense, right? <laughs> he and I are both uh, aviation nuts. So I mean, everybody knows. I mean, anybody that knows me knows I flew airplanes when I was a youngster, uh, 15, 16, 17, 18 years old. I don't know how they, why anybody would give me the control, but <laughs> what I, what I go to is, uh, you know, rich people, uh, get to travel in different ways than, than us average folks. You know, they get to beat the LA traffic by flying in a helicopter, which he did hundreds, yeah. maybe thousands of times, right. you know, just to beat the LA traffic, to get to the Staples center, et cetera. But, uh, I'll never, I mean, I've flown in helicopters quite a few times in my life and, and I'll never forget, I got on one one time, and uh, I was flying up to mid-Ohio. Uh, the guy that owned mid-Ohio then, Jim Truman, he had he leased a helicopter. And his, I, he, I just flew with his pilot up to mid-Ohio one time. It took like 30 minutes, you know, 25 minutes. But I remember forget, getting on there, and the thing's warming up. And he goes, and he goes, you know what a helicopter is, don't you? I said, no. He goes, it's a, it's a million pieces all trying to fly apart at the same time because it's whirly-girly and all this stuff. And I've never really liked helicopters. I got to fly Napa the Earth one time with the uh, uh, what's basically right right above the trees with the uh, with the general of the uh, Ohio National Guard, uh, Bob Teeter. They were on uh, 
the Ohio National Guard was on exercises up in Grayling, Michigan. And we're flying right above the trees and stuff. You know, when back when you're a young guy, because I was doing a story about it for their news side back in the late 70s at the dispatch. And, and when you're a young guy, I'm you know, you never even think about the jeopardy, yeah. the hazard, or whatever. You're just, wow, man, this is cool. Can we get closer to the trees, et cetera? And uh, so I'm, I'm like anybody else. I'm, I'm as curious about what happened with this helicopter right. as I am anything else there. Because, uh, but, uh, but to lose nine people like that, and quite, you know, several of them young, young youngsters, including Kobe Bryant's daughter, mm-hmm. and uh, I guess the daughter of another uh, acquaintance there on that team, on the the Mamba team. Uh, it just it just floors me because I I know exactly that area. I drove up to the mama to the Mamba. <laughs> I told you about that <laughs> yeah. after the High State yeah. Rose Bowl game. The next day, I drove up to the Mamba thing and took a picture of the entrance, and I sent it the picture to uh, Dwayne Askins Jr. and said, "They're waiting for you to get here, man. <laughs> They're wondering when you're going to get here." And, and he course, came out. Yeah, and he <laughs> he hadn't announced at that point, yeah. you know, but we all knew uh, what was up, you know, and he ended up training there. And uh, a little bit, but uh, just the impact though Kobe Bryant had. I mean, he like you're right. He was that guy kind of afar that was just this great player who you kind of sometimes didn't like. I mean, just because he was sort of the uh, the you know the the antagonist, you know, in a in a yeah. in a play, so to speak, and and because he was always going against maybe a team that you liked better, or the, and there was an, an not a aloofness about him, but there was like a he was on a, another level as far as like the guy that uh, you know was just maybe thought he was better than he was sometimes, yeah. you know, and uh, maybe took games over sometimes when maybe Shouldn't the team have would have benefited a little bit more by passing the ball. But uh, well, that's what I think of when I think of him. But then I think of him later on, and when you look back at the, his scoring records. Heck yeah, I want that guy taking my shot, right? Somebody uh, that's willing to do it. Yeah, and I think, but some of this. And I talked about this a little bit with uh, Chives, Spencer Holbrook, uh, yesterday and this morning. It's like a lot of what he did wound up transcending on the court. And not and I don't just mean yeah. off, the, off the court stuff. Um, I think was it three years ago that he retired. And the last time that he came to Cleveland, you know, Allie's like, well, that's going to be his last time through. I, I She's never seen Kobe play. Uh, I, I'd been to one before, but she's like – it's like let's go and like I'm like okay it was the night before, you know tickets were really expensive. It was Kobe and LeBron the last time in Cleveland. Yeah. Um. You know you're you're just way up high in the nosebleeds, but uh, and he didn't have a great game because until that last uh, sixty point performance or whatever it was in his last game uh, for the Lakers, it was kind of a you know he playing out the string a little yeah. bit. Yeah. And he knew it. But yeah. you could still see, you you saw the the flashes of greatness and, uh, but even. Even people who don't follow the NBA on a day-to-day basis, like my wife, uh, you know, wanted to see what this guy was all about in person and had that one opportunity. And it was like, it's still really cool that we yeah. got to make that. But yeah. that's just for us. And, and but you're talking about Dwayne Haskins and and Joshua Perry. It feels like he was so willing to go everywhere to start mentoring people at the end of his career when it wound down. Yes, you're now you're finding like everybody has these stories of just getting to meet Kobe and that's the one that they want to tell. Like we watched him play, but like Dwayne Haskins got, you know, to go have one conversation with him or, you know, we could go on and on with uh, Ohio state players that have got to train or he visited and gave a speech or just, uh, you know, urban Meyer at one point had a Kobe Bryant saying up on the wall about, you know, laziness and how those people can't relate. His impact was really everywhere because he had a unique way of thinking and working and playing. Yeah, yeah, I I, I agree. And, uh, you know, and his impact, like you said, you either get it or you don't, meaning the hard work involved, right. et cetera. And the guys, you know, because like I said, most people go to a, an Ohio State football game or a, or an NBA game or whatever, and they just think these guys are like me and you. They're sitting around all day and then they go out and play. No, that's not the, the dedication it takes, et cetera, to become an elite-level player. But then on top of that, to have something extra, which is what you know he has, which is what Tiger has, which is what LeBron has, that's those become the legends. It was interesting because I watched the end of the uh, the Farmers Insurance mm-hmm. tournament yesterday, and and I and I was sitting there you know, like everybody else. I'm going, I don't think Tiger knows about this yet. No one's told him. Yeah. And then I watched Joe Lacava because of the camera. I give it up to the uh, 
the camera guy there, he got right up behind him. And when, when, when Tiger turns to him and says, excuse me, uh, uh, wow. You know, it was like unbelievable yeah. uh, but, uh, because obviously those were two guys from the same feather. Oh, I mean, uh, in, in their dedication, they got to be friends. You know, obviously Tiger grew up, a an L, uh, you know, a, uh, uh, what do you call it, L.A. Lakers fan, yeah. et cetera, and uh, had those great pictures of him and Kobe back when they were really young and stuff. But, yeah, it stunned everybody well, once you heard it. And that's the, you know, the, that's that Mamba mentality thing is surrounding yourself with the like-minded people that drive. And Tiger has always done that individually. I mean, you could call it the, the Tiger mentality or the Mamba mentality or whatever. Like, yeah. Those guys, uh, I remember when, when Roger Federer was stacking up the majors and you'd hear the stories about Tiger and them going back and forth, like, oh, that's that's 15, that's that's 16 for yeah. you. Like Those people are um, driven and want to be around other people who have that same right, intensity. Right, because, because the, like I said, all these other people don't understand it. They don't understand what you are about. It's kind of like divorcing yourself – like like Urban Meyer, you know, said, you know, divorce yourself from people who, who give you negativity all the time. Yeah. I mean, I- embrace the ones who understand what you're all about and embrace what and they understand what you're going through. Yeah. And uh, and they you know, it's you surround yourself with like people and you become better and better and better. And, uh, you know, that's exactly what you're talking about. Uh, those only a few of those guys understand each other. And and every era has their special players they're impactful people i'm not trying to pretend like this you know federer tiger kobe uh you know i hate to throw in you know Sidney crosby because i despise the penguins but these people i mean there is a really special group of athletes right now and i know that maybe that's just my generation but these are the people that you know i've followed their whole career and i haven't had you know a bunch of those that i remember every part about it yeah um you know Michael Jordan was when I was growing up, but his career started the year that I was born. So yeah. it's not like I remember him at North Carolina that happened beforehand. But that's co- funny. I covered a game he was in as a freshman <laughs> yeah, when they like, played Kentucky yeah. at the Meadowlands uh, back in uh, December of that year. But so, but these like these these have been some transcendent careers that everyone will remember, and they hit yeah. a little. They they do hit a little bit different when they are the people that. Um, you know, Allie, Allie was saying yesterday, and she's reading it and hoping that the the reports were wrong, and that's a whole other conversation on the journalism side. Oh yeah, <laughs> about the kids. But she's like, Kobe was forty one. Like, how can that? How can that be? Like, he's that close to to our age. And I'm like, well, I mean, yeah. Hey, you don't go to college; it speeds up your career. Oh but, yeah, yeah. But you know, that's like, and as you said with Joshua Perry, you don't need to rehash it. Like, sometimes you get these reminders that, that no one's immune. You know, oh yeah, we're all gonna meet meet it at some point and you better make the most of every opportunity you yeah. had. And I certainly Kobe did that. Um, you know, he, and people talked about how he had this, this plan for the next 35 years and 41 years being more uh, impactful than the first. And that's, that's the tragic part of it, but well, that's it's also like, a reminder to all of us. Yeah. And also the helicopter is a great example of not only maximizing the most you can out of a day, Yeah. But uh, convenience factor, you know, that's what you achieve as you become more and more uh, successful in life. And uh, when you said talked about, you know, driving to the grocery store and getting back, that was the way yeah. he did that. It's not like it was a one off right. opportunity in a helicopter. So, um, you know, he had done yeah. it thousands of times, I'm sure. And di- and just assumed you're going to get there safe. But nobody ever knows. You can't take it for granted. Well, let's lift this show uh, back up yeah. uh, to talk about college football. Whew. I want to bring this up, you know, because uh, an acquaintance of mine, he's a he's been a long time uh, guy that's covered college football and does a great job for the Austin American Statesman. Mm-hmm. Kirk Bowles came out with his way too early. I think it is way too early top <laughs> top twenty five or whatever on uh, over the weekend, and his number one was Penn State. <laughs> uh, now, why are you laughing? <laughs> like, what possible reason could you have to put? Well, I was, let me let me give you his top. Uh, let me look up his. You you go ahead and fill in the blanks here while I look up his. Top. All right, let me let me sum up my argument against Penn State at number one. Okay. A, James Franklin. Just for our longtime listeners, they know I'm going to start right there. Uh, maybe I should put that's one A. The one B is Ohio State still exists in the Big Ten. Uh, I, what I just don't. I'm I'm at a loss for what part of Penn State's roster 
and their coaching staff and the transition. Well, he likes Micah Par- Mika Parsons, and uh, he likes uh, like some other things gonna... about their offensive team. And uh, and has I he don't, watched them? I don't think he. Uh, I don't think he quite uh, checked out the Ohio State depth chart. You know, and the the four and five A's that are going to be coming on, four and five stars yeah. that are going to be some of them from his great state of Texas. <laughs> but I'm not oh, making fun of the guy. Everybody's entitled no, to their opinion. Absolutely. Just, I mean, I'm just wondering. Like, I mean, I thought it was going to be Alabama and Clemson for the national championship this this past year. You know. Well, I mean, Kirk has done this for a long time, and we can pick any number of predictions that go go wrong. I mean, I've made a bunch of them. I used to have to do these way too early uh, Big Ten power rankings back when I was at ESPN. I know how it goes and how something in January can look a lot different even than your preseason poll in August. Stuff changes. I just, for this one in particular, to me it makes no sense why you would pick Penn State. Uh, they're, they're, to me they're going to be the same. Well, as he said, to be a little different. I mean, a bit uh, for something uh, And we've said that before. Different. Like last summer when people, you get tired of putting Ohio State and Clemson. Uh, if you're just doing the Big Ten, which is what I made fun of last July, People picked Michigan to win and made them the preseason. Favorite. You know what I got tired of? I, I was on a million radio shows and stuff then, and you know, talking with people, and I got tired of of refute of what you, what's the word I'm looking for there of 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 dissing that pick of Michigan winning the Big Ten, not just the Big Ten East, the Big Ten. Yeah, I got because I got that question all the time, and I would give them part it's, and parcel of why yeah, I thought Ohio it's, State. It's irritating. Should be your favorite because. This this poll comes out and and you know our colleagues voted on it and they had their their opinions yeah. and they all get to do that, but it became entrenched that Michigan had this momentum behind them and they were the the preseason favorites and Ohio State was an underdog. I'm like, are you kidding me? The two time defending champs with yeah all and this five star guy transferring in at quarterback while well, he's going to be a brand and you got Ryan Day as a new head coach. I go, but see. That's kind of like why when I picked Buster Douglas to beat Mike Tyson, <laughs> I had inside knowledge. I mean, I understood yeah. that this was the greatest Buster Douglas had ever been in his life, getting ready for a fight. And I understood from being around Mike Tyson, he was five foot ten on a good day, <laughs> and if you could stay away from the uppercut, you could. A good boxer had a shot at him, and then Buster Douglas gave everybody the blueprint to how to beat Mike Tyson. And a few yeah. guys after that obviously beat him too. But uh, but 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 it's because you and I. And a lot of other, you know, several others around Ohio State, we understood what Ohio State had coming back. But, we understood the scuttlebutt but Tim, that was when going you, on when you picked that Buster this offensive Douglas. line was going to be better than the year before. You understand yeah. things like that. When you picked Buster Douglas, that was a what twenty to one shot, 40, whatever, forty forty-two to one. to one. Okay, so you didn't have, you know, the majority of people who covered that fight saying. I like that underdog, Mike. No, Ohio State is Mike That's Tyson true. right That's now, true. Yeah. and you and so you had. However many people voted last year, I don't know. I didn't get one. I don't know if you voted in that one or not. But um, I can't remember if I did or not. But you you just had this this feeling. Michigan was the same team that they were before, probably less effective on defense. Yeah. They had the same quarterback. They had the same coach who's shown the same weaknesses. And people were all of a sudden saying, now it's going to be different. Yeah. But guess what? It wasn't. And I think. You know why? Because they wanted it to be different but because now, people get tired of the same old, same old. And now that's – I think this is the start of this is – maybe this is why you brought it up. This this could be the start of – people have realized it's not going to happen for Michigan. It's not going to happen for Jim Harbaugh. And they have a ton of questions coming into this offseason. So somebody else in the Big Ten yeah. has to fill that hype void. Yeah. And now it's going to be James Franklin. Now it's you know going to be uh, Micah Parsons. Can he win the Heisman on the defensive side of the ball? That's what's going to happen for the next eight months. Yeah. And I have a uh, spoiler for you. It's not going to happen. Huh. Ohio State is going to win the Big Ten. Well, anyway, Kirk, Kirk Bowles, his, his, his way too early top ten, as he said, were Penn State, then Clemson, Ohio State, Alabama, Florida, Notre Dame, Wisconsin, USC, Georgia, and Oregon. USC was just hired. Just hired uh, Texas. Just fired uh, defensive coordinator Todd Orlando. Uh, USC. Yeah. Uh, Notre Dame. Uh, I, I got to see Notre Dame play live this past year on one of the off weeks when they played Virginia Tech. I think Notre Dame's got some nice talent, but they're not on the level of Ohio State. I don't. I don't think they're not on the level of Clemson. Well, if anybody's looked at um, Clemson's schedule next year. Yeah. Yeah. There's and, one. There's yeah. only one date you need to circle. Yeah. Georgia. 
I'm not sure about Georgia going into next year. They've lost quite a few guys in the transfer portal, et cetera. They've got they've stockpiled some talent, et cetera. Oregon, I like Oregon. I mean, that's going to be a great showdown game. Uh, what second third game of the year? Ohio State goes to Oregon. Mm-hmm. Uh, be the what Ohio State's second trip ever out there. It's going to be interesting because that's going to set the tone. Uh, you know, two two defending champion, two defending conference champions playing each other, and. Uh, I think the winner emerges as one of the favorites for one of the four spots mm-hmm. in the college football playoff rankings. But yeah, I'm with you. I mean, the the Penn State. I don't. There's not enough. I don't know. Penn State didn't show me enough this past year for me to go that far with saying they can be it, that they can up upset the Ohio State apple cart. Except the the big factor is they are going to be talented. And they do host Ohio State. Yeah, what if – I mean, this is getting way into the weeds for that particular matchup that's 10 months away. But if if that's a weekend that Fox has the broadcast rights, that's always, always, always the time that they're trying to schedule the whiteout, get it at night. Yes. And playing playing there in Happy Valley is not the same at noon. I've had this conversation with Berm a ton of times. Why can't the horseshoe have the same environment? Well, that's what's going to be interesting is do, will they get to have the whiteout? Yeah. And I don't think they will. If yeah. if Fox has the game and they're intent on this business plan, which you and I both know that they are, yeah, and they're going to have their their two hour show, and Urban Meyer's going to be there, and Joel, you know, the whole crew, Joel and Gus, and then that game's going to be at noon. You can't just say, all right, and I, I don't remember the exact weekend it is, the the date, but they could be running into the same issues with the World Series, right? It's late October, yeah. So that game has to be at noon, and a Penn State's not going to get a whiteout. Well, it's not that scary to go play there at noon. It just isn't. Yeah. It's the same thing. You know, people say that about the horseshoe, that the atmosphere is not the same. Well, Ohio State doesn't generally need the crowd to push it over the top in the big games, but when that opponent comes in, they usually have that support, even if the game kicks off when it's still light out. Yeah. I don't I don't feel there's that anybody thinks the same intimidation factor exists at Penn State at noon. All right. Last couple and things. James Franklin, by the way, is still their coach. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> they did destroy Memphis State or Memphis. Is it Memphis State now? Yeah, it's it's, it's just, University of Memphis, Memphis now, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that's that tells you how meaningful that win is. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> but uh, uh, but I digress. <laughs> Does Ohio State uh, sign Cam Martinez? What's what's uh, Bermanology? What's what's your what's your? I mean, I tell you what, recruiting has changed so much because if mm. this was five years ago. We'd be talking about about 20 guys right now. The high state's in on. Will it can they hang on to them, et cetera? And that's been preempted by the early signing day, which basically is now the signing day. Now, this is the post. Yeah. This is the late signing day. Uh, <laughs> what, what's what's your sense of this? Is a pretty damn good full class yeah. that Ryan Day has put together. But this is the guy. You know, he's the only one left. He's the only one that. So everybody's gonna everybody's and, gonna fixate on and that. everything is. And I think. Probably justifiably so because, um, as we've talked about, what Ohio State needs to address uh, just in this offseason is secondary and running back. Well, I mean, if they got really crazy, they could put Cam Martinez at running back. Exactly. That's that's how special this guy is. He's not going to play offense for Ohio State. Um, I've peeked into Berms' crystal ball. I think that this was kind of the weekend that needed – there had to be a decision before Friday because he could go take a visit to Notre Dame. Berm, I know, is working on this story. I, I, I don't know that that's. I don't think it's going to happen. I think that Cam Martinez is going to shut it down and reaffirm uh, his commitment. It'll, it'll almost be like a new commitment because yeah. he was open to listening to Notre Dame, uh, Minnesota, and Northwestern, um, and had his doubts. But when you send, you know, Kerry Combs up there for that meeting, and and Cam, uh, you know, talked to Berm about it. That, I know. I, I thought that was. I mean. Berm talked to him before, during, almost yeah, during, during, like and he's after. getting a live update. Yeah, and it was it was an interesting story just about how the 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 call it the Kerry Combs effect, and it tells you a lot about what makes him such. You a can successful, read on LettermanRoad.com. Yeah, there you yeah. go. Uh, it tells you a lot about what makes him such a successful recruiter. We talked about the Sean Wade couch jumping the story when I was down in Jacksonville, but now he got, you know Kerry Combs is in there in Muskegon at his high school at 10 a.m. Cam had been done with classes and was at his job. But Kerry Combs stayed there for four, five, six hours getting to know, you know, the counselor, talking to his coach, watching film, uh, you know, talking to anyone in the hallway and trying to get all bases covered. And that's sort of that. 
I think Urban Meyer w- w- described that once when Von Mel- v- Von Bell's recruitment's like making sure that your tentacles touch the barber, touch everything, get to know yeah, his barber, know everybody. And, yeah. And Kerry Combs only had really, you know, one day to do that. Where he, if it had been a full process or full uh, year, he could have been back multiple times and developed that relationship. Well, he had to do it uh, in a crash course fashion. So he was there all day. Then went to the family house. I think he was there, yeah, uh, four or five hours. Like that's a you know, you don't really get to do that if you had your, your normal uh, full signing day, as you say, in February. But all attention is on this guy, and you know he's the only one you need. He's the only one you're recruiting. Kerry Combs is officially on board. It's his first day on the job, and you just go let him do what he used to be really good at. Yeah. And I think that he probably succeeded. Yeah, interesting. You know, Muskegon, man, I, uh, I on one of our vacations one time, we stayed up on the uh, west coast of uh, of Michigan. And uh, Saugatuck was the area, but we went up north of Muskegon, this place called Silver Lake, where back then you could rent basically dune yeah. dune Jeeps. Yeah. And and I got to drive. <laughs> I'm telling you, it's top three, one of the three greatest things I've ever done really? in my life. I don't think you could do that anymore because they probably had some crashes. <laughs> but, I mean, you could, you know, they taught you how to do, go up the dunes and you just follow these. And it was one of the great – I know I'm digressing here, but when I think Muskegon, that's what I think of, yeah. you know. Uh, and it was one of the great times. I mean, just going up over these dunes. It was like, uh, you know, uh, uh, Rommel. We're chasing Rommel or something. Of course, <laughs> North Africa or something. But uh, my wife kept saying, slow down. I said, sweetheart, if I slow down, I'm not going to make the top yeah. of the dune. And we're going to be flipping backwards. You gotta go like yeah. you're gonna slow down anyway yeah it's funny man what what triggers memories in your mind but uh i know most people don't care about that but i did it was one of the great times ever but hey boston appreciate it my man as usual always a pleasure you always offer insight there and i do believe the cam martinez i get this sense from what he told berm after the visits that he fe- feels all is well and the thing the thing i think that they're impressing on people more than anything else is before jeff halfley they were putting guys in the league oh, gosh. from DBU. I mean, they were getting it done. The guy who with built Kerry it, Combs. Yeah, the guy who built it is back. Yeah. So Jeff Halfley was he wasn't a flash in the pan. I mean, he was he was lightning. Uh let's face it, they, he was exactly what the defensive secondary needed yep, right. to get his act back together. And of course a couple things fell apart there in that old in that old fiesta bowl. But uh we'll talk about that as the as these uh, podcasts go on. But we've got a long off season. Yeah. But the bottom line is the guy who really got it going is back in town and why would that make anyone doubt what's up? Yeah, it, it I don't think it will. And and look, I mean, as I said, we got to spend a little bit of time up there in Muskegon. I've watched Cam Martinez uh the highlights and got to know him personally just you know, one or two times. But this guy he missed spring ball. He wasn't ever going to come here for that. But I would not rule him out as somebody who could be on the field a lot as a freshman. He yeah. he can do everything you want, and I don't want to steal Berm's thunder with how much he – because he will always and has told the story a thousand times about seeing him as a freshman and, and knowing he was special. Yeah. This kid does does have it. And that it's, when, when the coverage gets blown out on him as the attention heats up for the final stretch run, he's worth it. This kid is a, a – a potential yeah. program change. I always like how people like say, well, who do you play or who's he playing against and stuff. I remember Billy Sims played for Hooks, Texas. It was like a division, a, a 2A team uh, west of uh, Texarkana. You know, I got to see him play once in high school and I got to see him play in the high school all-star game in Texas. And you just go, you know, this, you know <laughs> he could be playing for the Green Bay Packers, you yeah. know. He'd be that good, you know. I mean, no, they just jump out at you. And uh, that's the way this kid, man, you watch a video of him, like Kerry Combs said, he almost <laughs> – when, you know, nine almost, minutes of touchdowns. Nine minutes of touchdowns, and they're looking at him on defense. But I think they're looking at him – if he can contribute, they're looking at him I either talk, way. I talked to his, his high school coach last summer, and he said when they do tackling drills, when they do stuff on defense, there's no – he's one of the best tacklers that he's ever had. This Muskegon program – He's a football player. Yeah, for people that don't know that much about Michigan high school football, which I didn't, you know, it's it's one of the most storied programs yeah. in the state, and they're competing for state titles every year. He said this; he's been there a long time, one of the best form tacklers that he's ever seen. But they couldn't play him on defense; they didn't need him as much as they needed him to play quarterback. Yeah, and so they had to save him. It's high they, school he football. Didn't, he didn't want to. Yeah, but that's what they needed. And for Ohio State, you know, that need is going to be different. They need him in the secondary. They don't. You know, Brian Hartline might throw a fit and fight for him when he gets here to play in the slot and play. Yeah. You know, run around, but 
they know what this kid can do on defense. Yeah. And Cam Martinez, you know, had gone back and forth in his mind about what he wanted to play, and he told Berm, you know, he was tired of getting hit because he he had to do so much for them on offense at Muskegon and the Big Red up there. Now it's going to be his turn to turn it around. Yeah. Well, you know, we'll be back to talk about that. I mean, especially after signing day. I right. mean, uh, the late signing day and, and other things. Bonus. It is, it's always a pleasure, ladies and gentlemen, and uh, uh, enjoyed having Joshua Perry on my podcast again to talk about the impact of Kobe Bryant and then to talk about rules, et cetera, of college football that got kind of muddied as you watch that Fiesta Bowl and where, will things get clarified yeah. uh, as this – as this process goes on between the 2019 and 2020 season, I doubt it. <laughs> uh, maybe some more edicts coming out of like uh, <laughs> some of these uh, high-level uh, official uh, conferences. But you know what? Until next time, this is Tim May. Thanks for being on with me, Boston. Tim May, the Tim May Podcast. We'll see you next time. Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's $200 to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, one eight seven 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 zero stop in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit one eight hundred gambler.net in West Virginia or call one eight hundred five two two four seven zero zero in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gambling helpline ma.org or call eight hundred three two seven fifty fifty four twenty four seven support in Massachusetts or call one eight seven seven eight hope. NY or text HOPE NY in New York.